thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Meara, and Karen and Kim will be coming on the call, but both have had emergencies today. But I didn't want to hold up this um, wonderful guest that we have, Lawrence Messia. Lawrence is um, a scientist at the University of Sydney. She's worked at the Pasteur Institute of Lilly as well as the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. She's working at the Charles Perkins um, Centre. Lawrence did her PhD in life and health sciences, specialising in immunology. She has 58 research items, 1,296, um, well, nine, sorry, 12,965 reads, 2,413 citations. And the reason we're talking uh, to Lawrence at the moment is that a couple of months ago I read an article in, I think, The Australian, and it was about a published paper in Frontiers of Nutrition. And it was a mouse study about the impact of the food additive E171, which is um, zinc oxide. Titanium dioxide. Yes, titanium dioxide, sorry. It was titanium dioxide. It's in 900 food products and it could trigger uh, IBD, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, and colorectal cancer. So I have uh, Lawrence, who is part of this study, um, to talk to now. Welcome, Lawrence, and thank you for taking this time out to speak to us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Wonderful. So... Can we go um, to why you started researching this product? So basically, as you mentioned, my background is immunology. So I'm interested in how can we fight disease. And we know that over the last 50 years, we have much more disease such as allergy, cancer, and so on, and we don't really know why. Know why. But one trend in all the Western countries is that what we eat dramatically changed. So we eat uh, processed food, which are high in fat or sugar, but also what's new for us is that this food is full of food additive. So as an immunologist, I was particularly interested in how can, just by adding that in our food, how could that affect our immune system or the gut microbiota that can also play a major role in health. So that's my background in immunology that brought me into the, the study of titanium dioxide on health, actually. So how how did those um, how do the food additives affect our um, immune system? So it's not really known, but uh, it's not in this study. But what has been shown is that macrophage. So macrophage basically are cells that will uptake anything such as bacteria and play a very important role as the first line of defense. And what has been shown is that macrophage will uptake those titanium dioxide, so the cell will be packed with those products. And they will start being very weird. They won't migrate properly. They will produce products that can damage tissue. So basically, in short, it's not a good outcome for uh, immune cells like macrophage to be in contact with those products. So where are the macrophages in the body? Everywhere. In every tissue, you have macrophages. It's, in, it's our first line of defense, and they are really here to prevent bacterial invasion and so on. So they are everywhere. 
So if there are 900 foods, and I believe medicines, yes, um, supplements. Yes. So yeah. in the 900 food, it will be products like mayonnaise. So basically what's important to know is that titanium dioxide is a whitening agent. So it's a product that makes food look nicer. So there is no benefit in terms of nutrition to have this product. It's just good because the food looks nicer. So if you have a mayonnaise with titanium dioxide, it will be whiter. Well, if you make your own mayonnaise, you know that it will be yellowish. So for commercial purpose, it's better to have a nice product. So you have that in, uh, as I said, mayonnaise, but also like in Mentos, like the white coating of the Mentos is made of with titanium dioxide in chewing gum. So you even have flour with titanium dioxide. So anything that is white, like icing of donuts, is packed with titanium dioxide as well. So it's a product that you can find it very in a very large range of products. And it's not just lollies. So lollies, you have a lot. But as I said, you can have that in some dressing, mayonnaise, some soup, and so on. So it's very, very common in the product we buy, uh, like in supermarket, basically. Mm. Well, considering it's in flour, that's a bit scary because flour is in just about everything. Like it's-, no, it's not in every type of flour. You have to check that. The problem with titanium dioxide is it's still un- uncertain on where it is exactly. It's not necessarily very well labeled. We don't really know how much you have in product. So, I mean, you've seen that. If you have a product, it will be written E171. You don't even know how much you get in there. So it's very, it's very vague. It's not in every flour, but some contain some. So one of the things that uh, titanium um, dioxide um, I've heard is that it's in nanotechnology form. Is that correct? Yes, it can be found in the coating of medicine. So my colleague would have been much more competent than me to present that, but I know that uh, in Panadol you can have titanium dioxide. It's in the capsule, in the coating actually. Sorry, it's in the capsule? Yeah, it's in the coating of the, of, the, of the Panadol. You have some medicine with titanium dioxide. Mm. It's also in the sunscreen, so this time it's not really the same thing. And you have a lot in toothpaste. Two out of three toothpaste have titanium dioxide. Is it, and it, is it in um, cosmetics? Yes. So yes. does it get absorbed by the skin? Uh, it has been shown that it gets absorbed by the skin. Yeah, indeed. Same thing with sunscreen. So let's talk about the research that I read about, uh, which was um, <laughs> the one um, that was like in the paper that they were talking about it and how it was disturbing the microbiota and um, causing inflammatory bowel disease as well as um, colorectal cancer. Can I know they were my studies, but can you talk to me about, you know, so basically, so that's my lab who did this study. So what we found was that if you give a physiological dose of titanium dioxide, so physiological dose would be what us as humans would take uh, in water. What we found is that, so the gut microbiota in terms of composition was not changed. You had the same bacteria. It was not dramatic. But what we found is that it could change the behavior of the bacteria. So the bacteria will start getting stuck together so they will make what we call a biofilm and it's known in humans that colorectal cancer has been linked to biofilm formation in the gut 
So in this paper, we do not show that titanium dioxide triggers colorectal cancer or increased colitis. What we show is that it potentially could prime, like made, make the system more sensitive, more like uh, susceptible to develop this type of disease. We also found that in the colon, there was a spontaneous inflammation. So immune cells get more activated in mice that were treated with the titanium dioxide. So the mice spontaneously did not develop disease because it's a very short-term study. So it doesn't mean that another study has shown that in the long term, the rats were developing a kind of tumor in the colon. But what we show is that it could make the system more sensitive. So the mice, if we challenge, they are more likely to develop severe disease compared to the mice that did not get titanium dioxide. Did you say celiac disease? Not celiac. No, no, no. I said oh. colitis and colorectal cancer. Oh, colitis. Sorry, I thought you said celiac. Oh. All right. So can you put that in human terms of what we eat? How much um, for a human to eat that and what would they do in a day um, if they are on, let's say, the SAD diet, which is the standard Australian diet? How much, um, you know, how much would they be eating? Would it be chewing some gum? Um, so that's a very, very uncertain area. So what is known is, I mean, exactly how, ma- how much we eat per day is not very well studied. It's believed that in average it's between one to two milligram of titanium per kilogram of body weight, which is quite a lot for us, but it can be much more or less. The thing is we, we don't really know. That's the short answer. We know that it's also added in baby formula. So oh. yeah, exa- exactly. So the thing is, it can start very early in life. And the concern is, even if you don't eat tons every day, what's happening if for 40 years you have that every day? So as I said, it's formed in Mentos or some chewing gum, in like, like mayonnaise. So if you have your sandwich with chicken and mayonnaise, you will eat some titanium dioxide. So I, I, I can't tell you exactly what, what, how much you will, uh, you will eat per day because that's not something that is known. But what is known is we have a very chronic exposure. So people will consume that their whole life, basically. So it's a build-up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's... But it's not, honestly, like the, the, the research in humans is not very, very strong. Huh? So you have countries like France. They don't want to make the risk. So from 2020, it will be forbidden to use titanium dioxide in food. Because it's, because it's potentially a carcinogenic agent. So as it doesn't have any benefit from a nutritional point of view, I think they just decided it's not worth it. But that's the only country in the world doing that so far. That's interesting because usually it's Denmark that's the first to, yeah, to, <laughs> to get rid of something like that. So <laughs> I wonder if I, I, I hope that other will follow that because... Maybe, maybe it, it doesn't do anything, but the thing is there are lots of evidence suggesting that potentially it's, a, it's not an inert product. So we need more regulation around it, I think. Yeah. Now I want to um, welcome Karen and Kim. They're both here. Hello. Hey. Hello, hey. Lawrence. How are you, Lawrence? Lovely. Yeah, good, thanks. Lovely to meet you and to hear your spectacular <laughs> voice. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> Laurence, we've been listening and Karen and I have been so excited to jump into this and thank you for your patience and continuing with Cindy regardless. 
But can I just, can I, I don't know if I've missed the very beginning. Could we backtrack a little bit as to how you got into all of this work and who are you and where are you from? Obviously from, <laughs> but like, could you give us a little bit of your background and then I'd love to go back to the whole nanotechnology thing. Yeah, sure. So um, before you start, Kim always asks this question, so I left this for her. Um, she wants to know how a gorgeous woman like you ends up in a research laboratory. Isn't that right? <laughs> I love it. I'm always fascinated where the inquiry comes from and if it came from something um, as a child or your parenting. And, and I think Karen, Cindy and I would all agree we're fascinated by the human side of science, mm. science as well. Yeah, so me, it's a passion. Huh? I've always been very uh, passionate about research. I think it's such, you have, we have so many things to discover that there is not a single day where I don't learn something. So it's a very exciting work, I think. And that's really what I like in research. You always learn and it's like curiosity, I think, is one of my things. So that's really the perfect job for me. So that's why I went into research, even if it's not always easy, but I mean, it's, it's so fascinating that I really have no regret to be there. So as you can hear, I'm French, and uh, I did a PhD at the Pasteur Institute of Lille in France, and I'm very interested in how the body type disease. So I'm an immunologist. And basically what I'm very uh, interested in is the fact that people develop much more non-communicable disease. So that's diseases that are not contagious, basically. So like uh, you have obesity, cancer, allergies, autoimmune disease. And we can see that in all Western countries, we have this tendency that we have more people sick, basically, and we don't know why. But what we know is that many things changed over the last 50 years, and the diet is really the, the biggest factor. So what I'm very interested in is how nutrition can affect immune system and so what should we eat to remain healthy basically it's my thing and i'm very interested in also how the gut microbiota affects the immune system and we know that the gut microbiota will react to different type of food so this food additive for me was very fascinating because like a few years ago i really didn't know much about it so i developed this collaboration with a chemist at the university of sydney Wojtek Schranowski. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating because there is not much regulation and it's very present in our, in our food. So what if this type of product could contribute to all the health issues in Western countries? So that's really how I got into this thing. So it's titanium dioxide um, that we're talking about, yes. um, which is E171. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's not only in medications and supplements, but it's also in our food supply, yes. um, lollies, it's in... Uh, baby formula. A baby formula, that's what got me, baby formula. Yeah. Um, not all of them, but some have some titanium dioxide. Why is it in baby formula? Do no, I don't know. The problem is, like, that's my thing, like... It's a whitening agent. It, it makes food look nicer. So I have no idea. Do you want like the milk to look, make the milk look whiter? I don't know. <laughs> That's incredible. That, yeah. that, no, that, what's incredible is that we are not sure on what it does. So if you give that to a baby with an immature immune system, immature microbiome, I mean, what will be the impact on this child? That's, I think it's, it's kind of concerning. Mm, very concerning. Um, I, like, I, um, want to know how, 
this type of research and everything that you've been doing has impacted the way you live your life and um, eat. It's, it's very interesting. So I worked on um, this titanium dioxide and I also worked for the last six years on how dietary fiber could be beneficial for our health. So basically, when I try to eat more fiber, now I look at the label of the food I have, try to avoid the titanium dioxide, but I'm not extreme. So I won't have no chewing gum anymore because there is titanium dioxide. I still have a normal life, but I'm conscious of what I'm doing. I think that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's viable to just be extreme and just take only healthy food. I mean, that's, that's okay, I think. It's just a matter of balance, no extreme behavior, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very much once you know, you can't unknow. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we try and do with Up for a Chat is to educate people about the research that's out there and to find scientists like you who ha are doing this research and understanding, you know, what one food additive can do. So mm -hmm. I did a post um, recently uh, and it was on my Instagram and I showed the ingredients of fake meat, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, if, I, if I go to it, it's, it's got many ingredients and not one is a really a real food. Wow. So you, you look at, you're looking at one chemical and how it's, or one additive and how it's affecting the, the body. But if we look at fake meat, it's lots of chemicals and how it affects the body. Yeah. So, you know, we don't, I noticed that all we're doing at this point in time is we're looking at one, in, one ingredient or one chemical and how it's affecting mice. But we're, and then we go, oh, at this amount it's safe. As, and then we keep doing it with all the food additives. But there's never in a food that I've ever seen on the supermarket shelf one chemical there's yeah. always additives for either flavor or color or whitening or thickening or acidity regulating or yeah. fillers or so when we look at that we're really um playing with our lives and we're really playing with our health if we consume foods with not only titanium di dioxide but uh, sorry um yes titanium dioxide but also with um other food additives Yes, I agree with you. I think uh, likely we will have synergistic effects when they are combined. I mean, in research, if you have one component, it's easier to understand what it does because you can control better your experiment. But you're absolutely right. We need to have a bigger, big picture, like combine them and see what it's doing. And also, I mean, you also have the timing. When we do this experiment in mice, it's one, two, three months. In real life, it will be years. So you need funding for your research as well. So you have some limitation. Like, no, exactly. You, you need to be very realistic. You need to do something in a time that is realistic and you need to get the right funding for it. But you're absolutely right. We need to test combined food additive and see what they do. Yeah, so. definitely. So Lawrence, could I ask a question? Yes. Just if I could jump in there. Yeah, go, go, go. I, I, you may have answered it at the very beginning before I came on air, but the, the predominant chemical you're talking about is titanium dioxide, which we know is in um, 
skincare, particularly sunscreens. Yes. Could you explain, first of all, could you explain why it's in there as in its ability to reflect the sun and, the, and not allow the UV rays? But secondly, when we nanotechnology it to stop it feeling so thick and gluggy on the skin and whatnot, does, is it true that through the power of the nanotechnology with the titanium dioxide, and zinc oxide in sunscreens that not only does it disrupt the cells um, and forgive my non-technical terms but it disrupts the cells in the way that the body absorbs things but it also allows access way for other maybe harmful ingredients to be absorbed into the skin am i right there yeah i think you're right it's and it's not at all my field of expertise my colleague was meant to be here and couldn't join the meeting he's the chemist and he's the one who knows all those things so you're right, it's a reflective agent. So it's in the sunscreen, I think it's justified because it just prevents the UV uh, infiltration in the skin. So I think if you have the choice between a melanoma or titanium dioxide in sunscreen, I would go for the sunscreen. But you're right, there are many, many uh, research because it's not inert and it does have an impact on the cell in the skin as well. But it's not, it's not really my... Uh, my area of research, so I, I don't want to say anything wrong there. Mm. I so just what, find it fascinating that the, the skin cancer, the Cancer Council sorry, of Australia go yes. on and on and on about the wearing of sunscreen. What yes. are your thoughts, though, around, yes, it's all very good and well to protect ourselves. You see, I interviewed a gentleman once who was also a doctor, and he said that it depends what you're going after. So his argument was between butter and margarine. So I want to ask you the difference mm -hmm. between zinc oxide and titanium oxide. I so his example with butter and margarine was if you have a problem around obesity or um, issues that affect your autoimmune and things like that, then of course butter may not be your best choice. But if you've got an issue, and heart disease, and if you've got an issue or history around cancers and illnesses such as that, then margarine might not be the way to go. So it depends, and I guess everything has a plus and everything has a, a minus for want of a better word. So for me, personally, with an interest in skin care and sun care, I would rather have a physical barrier than a chemical mm. barrier. So I would rather use the zinc oxide than I would the titanium dioxide. What are your thoughts around that? I'm not really sure. I think personally, I would go for the physical uh, um, protection as well. Yeah. But I don't yeah, think there is much research around that. Like when uh, we started on the titanium dioxide, it's, it's not like, I'm not sure there is lots of research around it to tell you, yes, go for the physical, the chemical is bad. I'm not sure about that. Mm. I just, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So did I hear you and right? And please, I'm so sorry for coming in late, but I wanted to hear, are you saying titanium dioxides and chewing gum and, yes. and Mentos and things like that? Yes. So if that's the case and we're ingesting it and we're eating it, yes. I know you said something about the microbiome and it affecting the gut and the health yes. of the gut. Is that the only implication or is that just so big it doesn't matter about anything else? Well, what we found was that, I mean, it's, it does have an impact on the gut microbiota. So as I said, it can trigger biofilm formation, but it does enter into the body. So it will interact with your cell, like immune cells, or like it can get stored in the liver. Some people found that you can find trace in the brain. The thing is, we don't really know in the long term what will be the consequences of that. So it doesn't look good, 
that would be my personal opinion, but we don't know 40 years of storage of titanium dioxide in your liver, what would be the impact of that? That's the short answer. And like, I can't tell you if it's big or not big, because as I said, there is not much research, but I don't think from an evolutionary point of view, that it's good for our body to interact with such product chronically, like every day on a day, like, in the, like uh, interact with food like that. I don't think our body is ready for that. That would be my short answer. So when you say there's not a lot of research, the part that I'm sitting here perplexed about is that if there's not a lot of research, how come we're using it? And how come it's so prolific? It's and so not, because it's not a medicine. So if a drug company wanted to commercialize a treatment, it's 20 years of research and development. Mm. It's not the same thing for food industry. I mean, we know that Coca-Cola is not the best for health, like all the soft drink, and yet they are still on the market. I don't think it's the same legislation for like food industry versus a pharma company. All the beauty and skin industries, you're right. So that, that's it. I think it's, it's politics. It's, but we are really just a whole bunch of guinea pigs, aren't we? Oh, that just <laughs> makes us sick, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, when I, when I was well, that in some countries they start banning titanium dioxide, huh? they've put an official ban on it. So it's just a matter. I mean, to me, if we show that it's safe, I, I don't mind. It's in the product, why not? But what's really a bit irritating is that there is no proof that it's safe, basically. And, it's oh. yet still, and you can even buy it online. You have some recipes that tell you to add like yes. a few grams of titanium dioxide, but how can they control that people put, put like five grams or 50 grams? They're not scientists. They don't have a very uh, accurate scale to start with. So that's my issue. We are giving product to people and we are not sure that it's safe. So, can you explain to us the word nano? Like, can you give us an example of what a molecule would look like and then when we nanotechnology it? That's a new scientific word. <laughs> so nano means very small. Yes, but can you give us a comparison in size? So if, the, if something was this big, how big is it after we've nanoed it? So basically nano is 10 minus 9 <laughs> meter. It's very small. You take a meter and you, you cut it a thousand million times, basically. <laughs> Tiny. So, yes. and, and you're saying that it's getting into the cells, it's getting into yes. the brain. Yes. It's getting I mean, into the brain, you have a study, they used mice. So I can't tell you that in human it's the case because it hasn't been done, obviously. But I mean, something that was interesting is um, they did identify that people with tattoo, the ink of the tattoo contains nanoparticles, Ouch. titanium dioxide, and they, they found that post-mortem, in the lymph node, so that's where your immune cells basically get trained to fight a disease, they could find storage of titanium dioxide in those areas. So it's not just in food, it's anything white in ink and so on that will have titanium that will enter in our body. Do you know there's a, a gentleman, uh, a scientist that I've been following um, out of Britain and his name is Christopher Exley. And uh, he, all he does is, and for the last 30 plus years, all he has done is aluminium. That's what he studies. That's his speciality. He knows what happens to it if it's injected, if it's ingested, if it's put on the body, if it's in the air. He knows exactly what happens to it um, through the body. And 
you know, he was saying, and it'd be really interesting to see you two collaborate. What he's saying is that when we see aluminium in the brain, um, so he's done human um, cadaver experiments mm-hmm. on kids that have died that have had autism, ki- um, adults that have died that have had Alzheimer's or dementia, um, and I forget some other neurological issues that they've had. He has always found aluminium. Wow in greater amounts in it. And I would love to see, well, is titanium dioxide? Look, I wouldn't be surprised that you you will find it there as well. So. And especially in its nano um, particle. So is some titanium dioxide not in nanoparticle? Oh, yeah, you you have some, um, I mean, it's always something smaller, but the, the range of size is pretty broad. But most of it, the, the, the big issue is the smaller it is, the more it can penetrate everywhere. So that's the nano size that we ingest, that is an issue. The bigger particle wouldn't be, I mean, I don't say that it's safe, but the nano one are the very, uh, like, most concerning one. Mm. I was just looking up the patent of it because <laughs> that's where I always go with the food additive is I always look up the patent. Um, and it, it can be used um, in things that will deteriorate prematurely, such as paints, plastic products, roofing products, mm-hmm. <laughs> ground cover products <laughs> um, can all have. Um, but, you know, you talk about the aluminium. I think the big next one would be the, the plastic, yeah? Because now we realize that we are so contaminated with plastic that, and same thing, what is the impact on us? So, Laurence, all the work that you're doing and all the, the study that you've done, is, <laughs> is there hope for humankind? <laughs> Kimmy, I think, we've, I think we've had to ask that question quite a number of times. I think so. <laughs> I think <laughs> oh, oh, my Lord. I think it's a matter of balance. I don't want people to, to be scared or whatever. Just be conscious of what you eat. Try to minimize processed food and soft drink. I think that's it. If you're just, if it's exceptional, sometimes you have a mentos, you won't develop necessarily a disease because of that it's just i think trying to cook more and from fresh food i think that's that's the key actually we can have a healthy lifestyle in our environment i think (laughs) it's that's the overarching theme that we always go to we always go you you just can't have the fake mayonnaise you got to make your own mayonnaise you can't have the dressings that are a little bit white you've got to do that and you know, chewing gum. I'm yeah, never... and that's fine. But if once you have to buy the mayonnaise, that's okay. Buy the mayonnaise, but just not every day. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Is there alternatives to Mentos, chewing gum, and mayonnaise <laughs> that you would recommend? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is there healthy alternatives? Can you get a natural chewing gum? Because the natural I know, chewing I gum think that so. I bought... I think if you go to the chemist, they have a natural product like that. Huh? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think the there are a couple. Like a spray, like so, that is so. white. It's like the toothpaste. You can buy the organic toothpaste with no titanium dioxide. That's right. It's just a matter of knowing, being conscious. If you don't know, you would just go for the big brand that do have titanium dioxide. But once you know it, you go for the organic alternative. Laurence, when you're not in the laboratory, what are you doing? What do you do with yourself? My life. Yeah. <laughs> when I have two uh, two young daughters, nine and six, so I spend time with my family basically. 
And tell me how, what is your thoughts in the world that they're growing up? What are your thoughts then around obviously eating as healthy as possible, eating foods as close to their natural source as possible? What would be some of the tips you'd give to us mums with the knowledge you have around science and the research on ingredients such as titanium dioxide, apart from avoiding the couple of things you've mentioned, from a holistic, big, maybe even spiritual viewpoint, what is your thoughts around how we can support our beautiful audience with the knowledge that you have? So I think first we do our best because I don't want people to feel guilty. Sometimes we work hard and, and that's it. We have no choice. But I try, I, I cook a lot personally. So my daughter would be the only one having a homemade cake every day in her lunchbox for afternoon tea. <laughs> so the teacher is like, really? She made it? So I'm trying to do as much as I can. And if I don't have time, I just go and buy something and that's it. So... From a holistic point, I mean, try your best. Try your best and try not to overconsume processed food. But we don't want people to feel guilty because we do research and you see my point. Like we try, I'm trying to educate. Like, you know, in France, it's pretty good because in every single school, you have a canteen, right? So kids spend one hour to have their lunch. And if they don't eat a three-course menu at the canteen, they have to be picked up by the parents and they have to eat a warm meal at home because we don't have sandwich for lunch in France. And to me, that's part of the education. I'd like like more country to do that. It's part of learning to eat healthy food is part of the education. So that's the parents. But I think it's also the school who should put in place things like that. Like in Australia, we don't really have that, for instance. The lunch break is 10 minutes, while in France, it's one hour. Wow. So it's, it's, I think there is a food culture there that, and that's why people are used to cook because we don't have a 10 minute break for lunch in front of a computer. Even at work, in most companies, you have a restaurant because being efficient at work or at school means having a healthy diet. So it's part of my culture. In fact, more than being a scientist, I know that we need healthy food to be healthy. That's really like, look how your grandparents were eating. They were not wondering, like, should we have this uh, microwaveable food? No, no, they make it, and that's it. It's, it was very easy at the time. But not easy for them, but now we have the choice, and that's when it gets complicated, because we don't have to eat healthy food only. We have the option of fast food, unhealthy, and people, I think, are a bit confused with all that. But my point is, you don't necessarily have to eat complicated food to have a healthy diet. Like you don't need to cook for hours. You can have very simple ingredient and still have a very healthy diet. So you can have a simple dish that that should, that would be fine. The French culture of eating is incredible. Yes, <laughs> um, I absolutely love it, and I love going to the markets and trying all the cheeses and all the different foods that they make, and even the uh, preserved meats. So um, I think that. You know, that type of culture is not here in Australia. We've got meat mm. pies and um, sausage rolls and vanilla slices. I think that's our culture. So, you know, being brought up in that culture is, um, is absolutely wonderful. I want to change tack just a little bit because at the Garvin Institute, you were with an eating disorder group. Yes. Now, we've, um, we will be interviewing next week um, a lady that um, had an eating disorder for... Um, she had one for 15 years wow. and yeah and I want to know 
at the Garvin Institute, what did you learn about eating disorders? So eating disorder is very broad and it was more um, focused on regulation of food intake rather than anorexia or bulimia. So it was really on what circuits in the brain control uh, feeding behavior. And me, in my project, uh, I was interested in how could that affect the immune system. So I can't directly give uh, this lady any, like, are you any advice on that? Because the topic was really on understanding how the brain regulates our, our food intake more than how should we deal with uh, eating disorder. And how does the brain do that? So basically, the brain is able to sense uh, what's going on in your body. Because when you eat, you have changes in hormone that will inform the brain uh, of your eating status. So it will either tell your brain, come on, stimulate the food intake or stop it. So we know that in disease like obesity, it doesn't work that well. So even if there is lots of signal you should stop eating, the brain doesn't sense that much this stop eating signal. And that's why we keep eating even if we are overweight, basically. So is that leptin you're talking about? Yeah, you have leptin, even insulin, you have ghrelin. You have many uh, peripheral hormones that will tell your brain, yeah, stimulate or stop the eating uh, behavior. So why do you think that excess adipose tissue um, puts these completely out of whack um, so, and, and doesn't tell the brain when to stop eating? So it's very complicated, but one of the mechanisms is that, so basically... To sense a signal, you have a receptor. So basically, you will stimulate a specific molecule. And in contexts like obesity, those molecules are not there in sufficient amount. There is a problem. So you have the hormone, but you don't see it because you don't have the receptor. So there is a decreased expression of the receptor for molecules like leptin in obesity. So why is it not leptin? It's not leptin resistance. It's actually that the receptor's not there. No, but that's leptin resistance is the same thing. Resistance is just, you can inject as much leptin as you want. You won't respond. So it's a resistance. It's kind of like the petrol gauge is broken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what about somebody who doesn't have adipose tissue, is, has got anorexia nervosa, is down to 25 or 30 kilos, oh and they're not producing leptin, then the body really should be saying, eat, 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 eat. What happens then? Do you know? But what is happening? Well, you have more complex uh, brain area. So it's not really my field again, but you have the cortex. You have all the psychological on top of that. It's not just a, a, an issue of hormone. It's also your brain that tells you, no, no, don't eat. Uh, it's the body image, the problem as well. Huh? So it's more complicated than just hormone and receptors. And you have on top of that all the psychological side of things. Like human beings have a big cortex that tells them what, like, what to think and stuff like that. So I, I want I, I to... Get... And, and so that's why we don't have a good animal model for anorexia, yeah. for instance. So it's the chicken and the egg. Yeah. No, which causes it? Is it leptin resistance that causes it in the beginning? Is it ghrelin not being produced? Well, I think it's, it's yeah, multiple parameters. It's super complicated. It's not just yeah. one thing that causes everything. I mean, if it was, we would have fixed the, thing, the, the issue a long time ago. But every day you have new paper on that because it's very complicated. And it's growing. Yeah. 
It's, it's not abating, it's actually growing. Yeah, because, and plus we discover every day new molecules and stuff like that. So we don't, that's a, the beauty in, of biology. We are dealing with something so complicated and with so many unknowns that it takes time. We need a lot of time to understand things. Because again, we talk about million years of evolution. Yeah. If we are still alive, it's because we are a very complex system, right? <laughs> you know, Lawrence, I love hearing this from you because so often um, I hear the science is settled. It doesn't do this. It does do that. Um, it, and I hear this so often and yet you are so humble in how you speak and what you say. We don't know yet and it's so complicated. There are many issues here. But when I hear the science is settled, um, I, I just kind of go, that's today, but tomorrow it may change. Exactly. exactly. You're finding new chemicals all the time. Exactly. So I, I'm watching the glyphosate and Roundup. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's another one, this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm watching that in the US at the moment. And, and you know, you've got judges and juries uh, giving billions of dollars to plaintiffs, and yet you have Monsanto and Bayer saying the science is settled. It's safe. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with it. Well, they don't want to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> no, they want to make their money. I don't even, I don't, I'm not sure that they even believe in what they say, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so sad. Now, you, you know, you're talking about this and, um, you know, it's like me, I, I'll pop up something and I'll get absolutely um, targeted. Like, it's like I've, I've got a big thing on the top of my head saying just throw slander at me, do whatever you need to do. But I know that, you know, being a scientist and, and finding what you've found about a product that is used in 900 food items that we know of and that we consume it from the day we're born if we're on formula and even if the baby is being breastfed, the mother might be passing that through if she's eating it. Yes. So what kind of um, problem, have you gotten into any trouble from the multinationals? No, but you know, it was not easy to publish this paper. I found it a bit complicated because as it's very politically sensitive, <laughs> for me, it was a bit harder to get this published than usual, actually. So no, the multinational, I mean, the way we wrote it, I'm not saying that it will cause cancer and so on. What I'm saying is I don't think it's inert. I mean, Food Standard Australia claimed that it's inert and clearly we show that it's not. What I'm saying is I think we should do more research before telling people, go for it, it's fine. So but, Food Standards Australia in New Zealand, who are our official... Yes. Yeah, they say it's inert. So that's yes. exactly what Monsanto and Bayer are saying about glyphosate, even exactly. though you have evidence that is the opposite. So what is Food Standards Australia in New Zealand saying to you? So what they say is it's been used for 50 years, so it should be fine, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't worry. So basically, they claim that it's inert. So we find this inflammation in the gut. So clearly, it's not inert. And our next step is to quantify an organ. So if we find that it goes inside and it's everywhere, then we can tell them, look, it's not that, that inert. It's not that safe. It comes in the body. It has an effect. So maybe we should have a closer look. But so yeah, they're really, uh, they're not concerned at all, no? I think. <laughs> They're not concerned about many things. They're, what they, what I find that they're concerned about is that if anybody writes the wrong thing on their food packaging, um, they're onto them. 
rather than protecting yeah. people. Yeah, but that's it because me, I have absolutely no interest in saying that titanium is good or bad. I'm just saying what I see. That's it. Yeah, so, you know, but you know, if they then turn around like France has turned around and said we will ban it from 2020, yes. yeah. there are going to be a lot of food manufacturers that are going to have to change, uh, and. I just I want. I think I'm, it would be nice that they do the same in Australia, but uh, they're not ready. I think. <laughs> yeah. Last time I hashtagged for Sands, I got into trouble. <laughs> no, but I think. Eat it. I got into big no, no, trouble. but I think food industry is very powerful, so that's it. Huh? Yeah. They, uh, Can I ask you, Laurence, with all the information that you have, you touched on it very briefly. Do you have an opinion around? why suicide rates have risen so much. Is there anything in your research and your knowledge, or let's even say um, depression and anxiety, do you think there's any correlation in any of the research you've been doing in regards to those incredibly painful scenarios that people have to live through? So I'm not working at all in this type of thing. So it's really, I'm working on allergic disease, autoimmune disease, so I'm not into depression. And so, and so I, have no, I can't answer this question, actually. But from a personal perspective, do you think there's any correlation with chemical exposures? And- I don't know. I think we have a very stressful lifestyle. I think you have work people are sleep deprived. They work like crazy. So some people don't cope with the stress like others and are more fragile to start with. So I think our whole lifestyle is maybe like targeting the most sensitive people. But uh, that's my personal view. Mm. I just find it fascinating. And, and I find scientists are incredibly diplomatic about staying within <laughs> what they think is their knowledge, but surely there's some secrets you know. I mean, that of course. No, no, I mean, I, I don't have any because it's not my field, but <laughs> yes, I think our society is a good cocktail for, for this type of disorder, actually. Mm. But the fact that you have seen that there is an additive that causes... Uh, the microbiota to change or the microbiome to change. And we know that there is the vagus nerve and we know that, um, that gut health has a lot to do with mental health. I, and I know you're working with rats and it's a bit hard to say to a rat, you know, how are you feeling today <laughs> or mice? <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're understanding this and we're seeing a huge increase in suicide rates. We're seeing... I think I think it's a good hypothesis. Like the brain, like the gut brain axis is is huge at the moment. It's a very intensive research area. So you're right. Potentially, mm. it's possible. But it has to be shown. Yeah. As a scientist, I can't say yes. I think it's a it's a good hypothesis, but <laughs> we, we don't have the proof. <laughs> yeah. Karen, Karen, work on her. <laughs> I remember I tried to do this with Jason. Jason Barden Smith to get him to confess what he knew and he was tight lipped. I mean I've even messaged him after that's so still nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's another scientist that we've interviewed mm. and yeah, it's funny because um sometimes we'll say outlandish things and then the scientists will go, but it's not proven yet, we can't say that. So <laughs> we appreciate um speaking with you. Lawrence, are you working on now proving um, this in humans. Proving what? The 171. The problem is in human, what do you do? Because you need to go, you have some ethical committee 
So it's really like tell the committee I want to test if titanium dioxide is safe in people. So I want to give that to them and see if they get sick. I think it might be tricky. Could you do it though with looking at, um, and I know this is really tricky because we all lie about how, what we eat and how much we eat, but, you know, could you do it with a retrospective study on, you know, were you maybe formula fed, were, you know, so- sunscreens what kind of food did you eat what's your diet did you eat you know mayonnaise every day of your life like can we do it that way or is that that, that's a very interesting point and we thought about that with my colleagues the problem is we don't know how much in food there is so even if you have the food questionnaire and you know that this person ate a product with titanium dioxide you don't even know how much it's in there so it's very tricky like uh, you can't compare mantos and mayonnaise so you will know, yes, this person is likely to have ingested more, but that's it. It can't be more accurate than that. Yeah. But I agree. I think it would be nice to know the amount added. I totally agree with you. It's something I talk to dietitians and they really, they agree on that. They're like, we have no idea hmm. on what food additives are there sometimes because it's not even labeled properly and we don't know how much they took. Do you know when I, I started this whole nutrition journey, I had uh, I wrote a book back in 1998 and I pinpointed food additives um, that, you know, we should stay away from. Uh, and, you know, they, I don't even think 171 was on my radar back then. So we looked at the colours, so 102, 104, um, and all the way to 160, and then the preservatives, preservatives in the 200s, the benzoates, the sulfites. Mm-hmm. Um, the nitrates and the nitrites. But, you know, 171 was not even on the radar um, yes. back in the 1998. I now have a policy where I don't consume anything with any food additive in it anymore. I only go to the farmer's markets. I grow food. I just don't trust it anymore. Yeah, you know, I see your point. Huh? I agree. And then you have to avoid the plastic, the aluminium. You have to avoid everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, as you, you said, it's, it's about living your best life and doing the best you can and not being too stressed about it. And, um, but I, I just think that, you know, number one, we have to start waking up to research like yours and realising that this wasn't even being talked about just in, 19, you know, back in the 1990s and, and early part of the century, the turn of the century, and now you're coming up with this evidence. And so we need to be more aware of the food additives. And even when you read something like, um, so one of the things that um, is in fake meat, as we started talking about in the beginning, one of the things in fake meat is food flavours, natural flavours. Wow. And in each flavour there are 48 chemicals. Oh, my God. <laughs> So if there's lots of flavors, then you're looking at 96, 150, 200 food, you know, food chemicals that is in one flavor. So, you know, it's it's about awakening the senses to people and and waking them up to the fact that we don't. You know, like, I love Lawrence that you say we don't even know what it's in, what amounts it's in. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have no idea, and yet we're consuming it on a vast basis by the sounds of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But one of the things that we do with Up for a Chat is that we give solutions and um, and our, our solutions have always been get back to your farmer's markets, yeah. um, 
do exactly what you're doing is cook from scratch. If you have to go buy a cake or something like that, make sure you read the ingredients and that you know exactly what's in them. Yeah, I um, think there is a simple rule. If you see a label and there is something inside you don't know what it is, just avoid it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> if I don't know what's in there, I'm like, okay, I'm not eating that. Yeah. yeah. So we're coming towards the end of the podcast. And I, I want to know if you have anything, um, well, what are you going to be researching in the future or what are you researching right now and, and what words of wisdom do you have for our um, audience? So what I'm working on right now is to find out um, what macronutrient composition, so basically in food, if you look at protein, sugar and fat, what is the best combination for the immune system? And so that's what we are working on now. So we have a big team and they work on different cell subsets and we are trying to find out, let's say we find that one food formulation is good for cells that fight infection, then the idea would be to change the guideline and say, okay, in winter when we have lots of infection, maybe try to shift your diet towards this type of food. So that's my, my dream in 20 years would be to be able to tell people you're likely to develop this disease, maybe you should eat that. That could prevent it. So that's what we are working on, trying to understand better how nutrition will affect our immune system. That's incredible. And that's just using macronutrient percentages. Yes, exactly, yeah. So we do that in mice, and then we, I mean, ideally the next step is to move into human, but first we need to know what's going on in mice. So. And were you part of that um, study at the University of Sydney that came out, was it 2016? Um, about the macronutrients and where they said protein was no good and they wanted you to eat more carbohydrates? Were you yeah, so I wasn't part because uh, I just started at Sydney Uni, but uh, Steve Simpson, so the last author, is the one working with me on our macronutrient impact, impact on uh, the immune system. So I do collaborate with them. Hmm, interesting, because I read that study. It's really good, no? Well, I, I don't know if I agreed with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not sure I agreed with it because they were saying that, like, I've been a nutritionist for 40 years and in my 40 years I've seen salt as the, the, the bad thing, then it became fat, then it was sugar and now we're look, we're, we are now demonising protein. And the vegans... So are- I, I don't think they do that. They're looking at the ratio. What they're saying is if you have a diet with more carbohydrate and few protein, it does improve longevity. They are looking at the ratio. They're not saying avoid protein. They just say avoid having a high protein diet. And carbohydrate, so high carb, low protein. So what do we say to people like the Himbas who live in Namibia, who eat nothing but um, the products (laughs) of animals and the animals themselves because they can't eat? Like when you go to Namibia and you see the desert, and you do not see a blade of grass, but you see that the cattle and the goats are doing okay. But you have nothing to eat as a human except the produce of the goat or the cow and perhaps um, an occasional kill. What do we say to people? How can we, um, you know, say that to them when that's all they live on and yet they have no bowel cancers? They yeah, but maybe they, they evolved with this type of diet over like many, many years. But maybe if you, you go there, you would be sick. <laughs> but do you think it has something to do with their microbiome? Yeah, possibly. They have a different microbiome than we do, for sure. 
So if we look at the population of Australians, yes, they've all got a different microbiome, how can we possibly say to them, if your percentage of proteins, carbohydrates and fats are this, then this will be your outcome? It's- no, no, we can't. That's what I'm saying. I think we have a different uh, evolution compared to them. Like if for generations they did survive on this type of diet, they are different from what we are. Like if you, you go there, you might get sick, but them, they are fine. And if they come in Australia, they are likely to become obese or be sick as well. Yeah. And that's what's happening to us. We're becoming a base and sick. <laughs> oh, wow, Lawrence. We could have a wonderful conversation about that. And, and, yeah, look, that's another topic. And that is another topic. And I think it would be an amazing topic to talk about because I find it, you know, fascinating that humans can have a variety of diets and be healthy. So we've got the Katavas in uh, Papua New Guinea who eat nothing but carbohydrates with coconut oil, which is or coconuts, which is a saturated fat, and fish. And then we have the Kagirs in the, in the uh, Pamir of Afghanistan who eat nothing but the produce of their animals with an occasional kill of yak. Yeah. And then you have the Greenland Eskimos and then you've got the, the Hudsons in Africa that eat, you know, meat basically from primates to, to poultry or birds. Um, and, you know, some tuberous vegetables. So we as humans can adapt to an amazing array of different macronutrients. Yes. Um, and yet the Australian people who eat an amazing array of macronutrients with maybe 171 in it <laughs> are getting fatter and sicker. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. Do you ever have these conversations with your husband? Never. <laughs> what about you, Lawrence? <laughs> about what? <laughs> Do you have, is he a scientist, Lawrence? No, he's not. He's an engineer. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I just think it's incredible. I can just imagine the conversation you two would have. You're insane. <laughs> I bet it's amazing. I know from a psychological point of view that some of the information that you've shared with us could be a little bit mind-blowing and also just, again, bringing an awareness around, um, as you said at the beginning, one of my take-homes for this was be mindful and we have choices. And I think a lot of that is around the education, isn't it, yes. and, and learning this information. Is there anywhere for the everyday person you would recommend we could look for more information that maybe don't have access to the scientific papers? Is there anywhere, if someone's been listening to this and said, I really want to research more about this or learn more about some of the, either the nanotechnology or zinc or titanium dioxide? So, you know, you can do some course online huh, for free, like the website Coursera, if you've heard about that, they do like, course and that's academic real scientists giving advice on nutrition there is one on introduction to nutrition and it's stanford university doing it and it's free so i think as long as we have access to internet we can learn mm. so what, what uh, university is that it's, uh, so coursera it's c-o-u-r-s-e-r-a dot org they offer free um course on anything Oh. And they have one on nutrition. So, and that's real academic that give course. It's not like, I think anyone can learn because it's for adults, basically. 
But I think there is way to learn. We have all the tools to have access to the information. So as long as you have internet, if you follow this type of course or read some official documentation from WHO, I think we, we can easily have the information. Ignorance is a choice, isn't it, really? I think so. And I think, like before, it was really hard. But now with the internet, we have access to everything. Yeah. And I think the thing that Karen, Cindy and I would definitely advocate is that once you've, I think, I think it's Karen that said it a number of times, once this has been heard, it cannot be unheard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I really, I've really enjoyed this, especially yeah, from a, I know Cindy will have a passion behind the food. I know Karen, even though she hasn't said a lot, has been listening with intent. And I know that myself personally with an interest in the skincare industry, it has been something that I, I've been really passionate to understand because when nanotechnology came out, to be honest with you, Laurence, I feel like it's the GM of, mm-hmm. of this side of things where it always seemed to be the best, next best thing. And yet now we're questioning. Yes. I think just one last question from me. Do you think us as humans, we are trying to do things too quickly rather than allowing nature or the course of nature to unfold? Is there such a thing as doing science slowly? Yeah, look, I, I, I think so. I think that we have uh, clearly a, a rupture with our evolution. Because what we eat now, over the last 50 years, it's been so different from what we've always have been eating that now we get sick. So yes, I think we go too quickly and at every single level. I think it's just how uh, this generation, how we are right now. So I think you're right. We go too fast, we put on the market things that haven't been tested properly, and I think that's the big problem with the food additive. We go too fast. I think we we want profit over everything, so that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so glad you've done this research because um, maybe this is the beginning of the end for that food additive, just like we, you know. Well, I hope so, I hope so, but, uh, I mean, what I love is that uh, food Standard Australia started doing real research and then said, yes, it's safe and here is the proof. Instead of saying, well, it's, all, it's always been there, so it should be fine. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for doing that research because, um, and for our listeners to be able to hear this um, and, you know, become very aware of it. I think many of them are educated, but, you know, it's nice to pinpoint these things so that they understand why they're doing what they're doing and why they put the effort into um, not only the, the stuff they put on their skin, but also what they put into their mouth as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I think we've had an extraordinary thing. Cindy, what was your biggest take-home today? Oh, um, just everything. And I, I just, I actually love the way Laurence just <laughs> talks about her science. But I think the most, I think my biggest takeaway is this is that we don't know yet. We don't know everything yet. The science isn't settled. And we need to take caution when we hear somebody say that and that, um, and that scientists are humble. Mm. That was my take. What about you, Kim? I think um, I would like to be French. <laughs> That's my take home. The fact that by the time this goes to air, I will be in your beautiful homeland. Um, but I think really what I love is you're a mum, you're a scientist, you have a passion for the greater good of the planet. You're after the quest to find the answer, which I don't think it matters whether you're a mum, a dad, 
a, a pet owner or a, a shop owner or a business person, the ultimate thing is we're all on a quest and a journey. And I think to have people like you in our corner is what I've taken home, that we've interviewed people like Jason Borden-Smith, as Karen mentioned, that was an incredible scientist, and um, Steve Myers, who worked with Cindy. And I just... I don't know whether we just hand select the best ones. I'm not sure whether that's our thing, but to hear you talk about the science um, with such passion, but conviction for the greater good is probably my big take home. And I'm really wrapped that you've explained the implications perhaps of nanotechnology, because for a long time it was seen as the, the new utopia. And I'm really, I've really taken away that once again, any new thing that comes out there, let's, let's play caution to the wind rather than jumping right in. So I think that would be my take home. Thank you. Mm. Mm. And our beautiful Karen, I know has been listening. She's had a lot to do, but Karen, did you want to offer an insight here as to your takeaway and what we've shared here today, you beautiful soul? Thank you, Miss Kimmy. Um, I have been listening intently and I, I, you know, every time we have, these conversations um, about different things that are wrong. Um, you know, I obviously look to how that affects the mind and your question was just amazing about, you know, the impact that it has on suicide, depression and anxiety because obviously that's my jam. Mm. But I, I, I guess what I sit and I think to myself, I think, gosh, you know, that for, for me I feel that there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of um, perturbation and trepidation around our food and I can I had a conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend and she's just so terrified on what to eat and what not to eat she's just always worrying about what she should and shouldn't eat and I said to her in the end I said you know if you're eating whole foods and you're keeping it simple then you know you should be on the right track but if you're eating anything processed and you're eating complex foods that you don't know what's in them, then, you know, then it's another conversation to have. But it didn't matter what I said to her, I couldn't actually waylay the concern that she had. Mm. And I can't help but feel that, you know, as science discovers the complexity of the body, it still has to discover the complexity of the mind after that, by the way. But we still have, we, you know, science discovers the complexity of the body and how one thing is linked to another and nothing works in isolation that we are such complex beings that it, I, I, there's so many organisations out there that are trying to make money on our ignorance. And I think this is the point that I'm making. There are so many organisations trying to make money out of our ignorance, which is why I think this podcast is just the bomb.com because it kind of educates people about what to keep an eye out for. And I think that... If we can take on this education without the fear, then I think we don't make food the enemy and we don't make our bodies the enemy. We don't make our mind the enemy. We don't make life the enemy. We just focus on doing what's best for us. And these little snippets of information about our water and the titanium and the sun and the screen and, you know, all of those things and the microbiome and the bacteria, I think that those are vital pieces of information that we give to our audience. And all, my, all I want to say is I've loved your view, um, Laurence, on, on 
you know, if you have to buy the mayonnaise, buy the mayonnaise, but don't go buying it twice, you know. If you've got to do something, just, just, just do it, but don't, don't do it too often, you know. Exactly. <laughs> I've really found that your view has been quite refreshing because you've, you've, you've certainly made a very strong point, but you've also made the point of, you know what, let's not make food the enemy. Let's just make sure that we're concentrating on having what's good for us and more of it. Mm. Um, and, and I, and I really love that. I really, really love that. So thank you. It's, it's, thank it's, you. it's been a really insightful podcast. And of course, like Kimmy, mm-hmm. born to be fresh. <laughs> oh, I love your accent. I could listen to you all day. I'm sorry that when Cindy said we were coming to the end, I'm like, no, 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 she must keep talking. Is there other topics we can talk about? Anything. <gasps> what about love? No more. <laughs> what about shoes? What about shoes? Shoes. <laughs> and oh. honey. Oh. Honey. Honey. We, were, we met a Frenchman in a winery while we were hiking in New Zealand. <laughs> and we asked him and he said, there's nerds of honey. Can you say honey for us? Say honey. Me? You want me to say honey? Honey. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> honey. 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 I love Oh, perfect clothes. Uh, you have fun too, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. I love it. I love how the girls have, have, have called you Lawrence and I'm calling you Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence. Ah, Lawrence. Say your name. Lawrence. 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 Love it. <laughs> love it. Well, this has been an amazing podcast. Thank you so much for your insight and your beautiful everything, your beautiful energy, your beautiful accent, your beautiful knowledge. And thank you for doing that with the planet and hopefully the world will be a better place because of you, Laurence. I hope thank so. you. We apologize. <laughs> so for all of our listeners, if you'd like to make any comments or you've got any questions or concerns, head on over to our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also go over to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Now you just make sure that you tune in to us next week right here on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that is absolutely changing the world, my friends. Bye for now. The 2019 Wellness Summit is almost here. I love being at these events. They're always such a great, positive environment. It's been really great to um, listen to like-minded people and to um, meet a few people, actually. I've been to every summit and I've been to every one and I'll always keep coming. It's always inspiring. It's been a real eye-opener. We're actually signed up to go to the breakthrough now. It's very motivating. I think it's great to listen to people who are inspired. And there's always something to learn and something to take away. I think uh, for myself and giving myself that um, opportunity to, to learn. There's so much going on in life and everything that you can get distracted and forget the things that you should be doing. And this always reminds you to get back on track and, and um, to focus on the things that are important, a holistic help. Just do it, yeah. Just yeah, suck it up and do it. It's uh, it could be life changing, yeah. I would say it's awesome, and it's the start of changing your life. Come along, see what it's about, and enjoy it. It's an amazing event with like-minded, positive people, and you can't help but um, walk away feeling great. Positive Mentor presents the 2019 Wellness Summit, August 17 and 18 in Melbourne. Can you afford to miss out? Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. 
check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.